So Josh, you've heard the saying, sex, drugs, and rock and roll? I have. So let me ask you something in the spirit here of authenticity. Which one of those is your vice? I feel like you're taking this transparency conversation. We had a little too far, uh, <laughs> but I'm gonna, well, how about D, all of the above? Okay then. Well, I appreciate you sharing that and I'm glad you're here today for this episode because yeah. we're actually going to dive into some of these issues. You know what? At the end of the day, some of these vices or habits, we can say, boil down a lot of times to health, mental health. And so we're going to drill down a little bit today into that topic and how mental health and the field of clinical psychology actually relates to the believer, the Christian and spiritual growth. Hey, Josh. Hey, Hansel. I got a story for you. Okay. So check this out. I was just recently talking to a good friend of mine and a little bit of his background. He has been a Christian for a while, but he's also been struggling with alcoholism for a large part of his life. Mm. And he's faithful in going to church, but he's he hasn't been able to stop struggling with it. Now, recently, he actually started seeing a clinical therapist. Mm. And this has actually helped him. It's probably salvaged his marriage, and it has helped them not only to manage the alcoholism, but to actually make growth in it and take steps closer to it. So that's really interesting because I know a pastor personally who, total alcoholic, right, claimed that mantle for himself before he became a follower of Christ, gives his life over to Jesus and his alcoholism goes away immediately as soon as he makes that decision to follow Christ. Wow. So two completely different scenarios. Here's the question for you guys. Out of those two, who is following Jesus better? Is the first person lacking faith in God's power to heal him? These are some of the questions we're going to drill down to a little deeper here with our question of mental health and is there a role for professional counseling, clinical therapy to play in the spiritual growth of a believer? Yeah, certainly, because there are some, uh, we could put it mildly and say discrepancies, right, with certain groups of Christians who assume that any type of use of clinical psychology or help with a therapist or whatever uh, is moving outside of God's plan, right? Like maybe God just wants people to only stick within the church and only use scripture, right, to do some types of counseling. And so uh, it's a pretty important issue for yeah. us today as we kind of keep drilling into the topic of mental health. Correct. Uh, because this has a real, actual, tangible impact on the way that we live our lives. For sure. Now, not surprisingly, Christians disagree on this, yeah. right? And so we're going to have two basic sides that we're going to drill down into. One is what we're going to call the biblical counseling perspective, mm -hmm. which is the Bible alone is the resource that Christians should use for their spiritual growth. Mm -hmm. The other perspective is what we're going to call an integration perspective, sure. which is the Bible complemented with professional counseling can aid believers. Yeah. Now, there's three main questions that both of these views are going to try to tackle and three main issues that we want you to be able to pay attention to on these two perspectives. So what, what's the first one? We have authority of scripture, right? Okay. And asking the question really like, what does this mean? You see, because for the Christian believer, the Bible is ultimately the main answer and the main conversation starter for all of these discussions, yeah. right? We want to be clear and concise with our scripture. We want God to be the one who speaks most loudly into our lives. And so does psychology take away from that, right? Does yeah. it, by asking or bringing in other perspectives, self-help perspectives or whatever, uh, are we elevating human beings above, you know, the word of God? Good, good. So that's the first concern. Mm -hmm. The second concern is the congruence of psychology or science with the Bibles, specifically on the topic of human nature. Mm. And so the, the, the concern here for both perspectives is going to be, now hold on, are these 
both of these fields, one, religion and theology, coming from the Bible, the other one, science or psychology, are they both actually equipped to answer the questions on human nature? Mm-hmm. Or should they proverbially stay in their lane? Right. That's right. the second concern. And what's mm-hmm. the third one? We have, uh, does psychology, right, by its very existence, yeah. require a certain amount of denial of central biblical claims to function in a secular world, right? And so essentially we're looking at the idea is like, is there going to be something inherent within the study of psychology, therapy itself, that requires a person who wants to be a follower of Jesus to deny some level value of the Bible and like the role that it can have in their life. Yeah, yeah, correct. So that, that concern is going to be more on method of study. Sure. Or what's assumed in terms of the human condition to begin with. Yeah, absolutely. So the first perspective we're going to look at is called Bible only counseling mm-hmm. or the biblical counseling position, right? So what are those three central perspectives or tenets of that position. Yeah, so basically we have this idea, this understanding for number one, that all scripture is God-breathed, right? Okay. And, and this really sets the con- the contextual foundation by which we do all of the study. So if you're a follower of Jesus, or even if you're not, it's important for you to know that like followers of Jesus believe that God inspired the writers of the Bible, mm-hmm. right? To write these things, to have these words say, and that's why they're so profoundly impactful and important in our lives two millennia later, right? Across you know, thousands of miles from countries or thousands of kilometers, if you use the metric system, uh, you know, and, and for us to still be able to find some type of value in them today clearly shows that there has to be an understanding of God's divinity that's, you know, in the text somewhere. And anything outside of that is a devaluing mm. of the scriptures, right? Mm. Using any uh, is, well, let's put it this way, is at best self-help, right? And is at worst idolatrous in mm. some type of form, right? Elevating something else to the level of the Bible. Uh, and so uh, that's huge. Uh, the second thing is Christ is the only person who brings true change, right? Mm. And Christ is revealed through scripture. So if we're going to be moving off of that, we're going to be moving into something that doesn't actually give us life because we believe as Christians that, you know, scripture, the language scripture uses in the book of Ephesians says we were dead in our sins Mm -hmm. and Christ raised us from the dead. So if Christ is the only one who really changes us on some type of heart level or some type of value in that discussion, then if we get off of that, we move back into the realm of things that are just dead. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. And the first thing that comes to my mind is from this Bible counseling position, meaning the Bible is the exclusive source mm-hmm. that pastors or leaders should use and that Christians should seek mm-hmm. for spiritual growth. Mm-hmm. It really seems like it's an all or nothing claim, right? Right. Because right. if, if you're not, if it's not in scripture, then you can't use it at all. Yeah. yeah. Because you're, you're, it, it's hazardous or you're potentially forfeiting the Bible. So, I mean, one of the things that comes to mind is you have to be like really optimistic about the, the level of interpretation or the efficiency of interpretation of the Bible that you can have. So let me give you an example. There's a verse in first Peter. It says, don't be anxious, cast your cares upon God because he cares for you. Mm -hmm. So Jack Cassidy shared with us right earlier. He's like, you know what? Um, I discovered that I didn't have a name for it, but growing up, I realized that I was actually facing what's clinical depression and anxiety. Mm -hmm. So you had a medical professional diagnose him, right? So from this perspective, I think the attitude would say, as, as I understand it, well, clinical therapy is out of its lane in prescribing an actual solution or a behavioral um, change or solution for that issue. Mm-hmm. Because if the Bible says, cast, don't be anxious because God cares for you, then one, that the optimism for the level of clarity that that 
would have in the, in the believer's life has to be pretty high, yeah. right? So if, if you struggle with anxiety, for example, and I say, hey, it says right here, don't be anxious, Yeah. right? It seems from that position then that you have a very, uh, again, a high level of optimism for that intellectually that that is going to automatically uh, get transferred or leveraged into some change. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing that comes to mind is how unmediated this this seems. In other words, um, that it will be 100% effective in halting the anxiety. Yep. So I have to think then that if I, if I point you to a verse, love your wife, stop being angry at your wife, for yeah. example, right? Like yeah. Ephesians chapter five, that not only is that mentally gonna register, but it's automatically gonna, without any other mediation, gonna affect change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's really optimistic. Yeah, I mean, it, it feels a little uh, uh, difficult sometimes in being able to rectify that because yeah. it's like, you know, what do we do when we just have the real lived experience right. of those things not happening, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what does that mean for us? How do we, uh, it feels at times, right? Like we could be trying to fit a square peg into a round hole, right? How mm-hmm. do we make something like that kind of come along? Right? Yeah. yeah, it's huge. It's a big, big deal. Yeah, and so another uh, position, right? Like that this Bible only counseling uh, spot holds is this understanding that uh, theology and the Bible, uh, or theology, the Bible, and psychology are really addressing right these different aspects of the human condition, okay. right? And so they're asking and answering different questions, and we need to make sure that, like we said earlier, and keep them in their lane, right? Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that Bible only counseling positions uh, can accuse psychology of is what's called like this really fancy word of epistemic trespassing, right? It's just so like, tell us what that means. Yeah, so <laughs> you you are trying to do something that you're not actually supposed to be doing, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, I am somebody who has studied the Bible professionally for over 10 years, right? Both in a pastoral setting and an academic setting. If I were to start diagnosing what was wrong with your leg there, because I had thought that you had some type of rheumatoid arthritis, you would look at me and laugh mm-hmm. appropriately because yeah. I don't know what the signs are. I don't know mm. what to look for. I can barely tell a knee from an elbow right on a good day. Right. And so, you know, so that's what the Bible only position is saying to kind of psychology is like science and medicine are meant to deal with the material things, mm. right? The physical things, the things around us, the things that you can see, right? You can touch, you can feel, taste, hear, sense there. But the job of the Bible is to deal with the immaterial things, right? The things in the soul, the things mm. that are the deepest core of who we are. Yeah. And Jesus is the only one who can change those things, you know, not psychology, not science. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for sure. And so on the, on the one hand then, from this perspective, from the Bible alone counseling perspective, not only is there a dichotomy there or a separation between the material and immaterial, mm-hmm. if you will, uh, but there also seems to be a separation between sources of knowledge. Yes. So on the one hand, then, the Bible is, again, the exclusive source of knowledge that we can use mm-hmm. to prescribe or to understand how, why, and how we behave the way we do. Right. And what that means is that you're excluding, then, any other sources of knowledge that could be out in, in any other field mm-hmm. to help with that Um with that conversation. So, I mean, I'm trying to, to think, right? On what basis do you think, like how would somebody make that claim? On what basis do that would somebody make the claim that any other source of knowledge is not valid? It can't count. Yeah, I mean, because you would have to, you would have to say because of the centrality of the Bible role, mm-hmm. that's where we know where we're gonna be finding our truth, right? And so if, if all scripture is God breathed, yeah. 
right? And is useful for correcting, rebuking, teaching, and training up, you know, a young person in the ways of God so that when they're old, they might not depart from it. The idea here is like, if Christ is um, powerful enough to conquer death yeah. and defeat the grave there and therefore sin, Christ has mastery over sin. And when we give our lives to Christ, that same, you know, we take that righteousness and it's extended to us. Yeah. Then we have the ability and Christ is revealed through the scriptures. Yeah. Right. And so clearly it's just kind of an A to B to C. Right. And, and so the idea becomes then it's for us to make sure that we are uh, doing everything we can to submit to the scriptures, because that's going to give us the best chance for uh, a life of uh, angst, uh, an angst-free life, yeah. let's say. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that's really interesting about this, though, is that the big critiques and some of the people we were reading mm -hmm. uh, in preparation for this were people like J.E. Adams mm -hmm. um, and what's called the nuthetic, mm -hmm. right? The, mm -hmm. the Bible alone, just prescription, you take here, here's what it says, here's what you do, that's it. Yep. One of the big critiques from this perspective uh, over and against the fields of clinical psychology, like we said, are, hey, stay, stay in your lane. Right. And what that means is that you'd have to view these the role of these fields as only being able to observe without any participation from the observer, mm -hmm. right? Now, what's fascinating about this actually is it seems a little ironic because that perspective of the sciences, particularly the humanities, like history or philosophy mm. or behavioral sciences, sure. right? Um, those fields don't self-identify in those roles right. today, right? Like yeah. like this view that the observer is somehow neutral. It, let me give you an example of the, hi the history, for example, right? If you read a history book, you're not only reading the recounting of naked facts, mm -hmm. right? Good history is a storyteller who is organizing those facts and putting them in a plot for you, giving you the significance of what, what they mean. Mm -hmm. So inevitably, the historian is involved. The historian has interest. The sure. historian has to make value judgments in organizing the facts. So it's the same thing with some of these sciences, right? Yeah, to, naturally. To claim, hey, the behavioral sciences, for example, they can know th th it's not their role to involve right. the observer. Um, that seems like a misrepresentation of what those sciences are. Yeah. Because yeah. they, they don't identify um, at that scope of practice right. in, in, and of themselves. Um, so so that, that, that's, that seems really interesting because you have to then limit yourself to a definition of sciences that even though sciences aren't defining themselves. Right. right. And, and so J.E. Adams talks about this, right, specifically. So J.E. Adams, if you've never heard of him, uh, he's a gentleman who started a practice called uh, Nuthetic Counseling, or if he didn't practice, he popularized it, right? Uh, and this is idea that it's a type of counseling that's based solely on the Bible yeah. uh, and focusing specifically on Christ. Uh, and so he has this quote where he says, psychology should be a legitimate and very useful neighbor to the pastor, right? Psychology may make many helpful studies of human beings, right? Maybe, the, uh, for example, in the effects of sleep loss, but psychologists with neither warrant nor standard from God by which to do, do so should get out of the business of trying to change persons. Psychology may be descriptive, meaning like it describes how things are, but it er, uh, transgresses its boundaries whenever it becomes prescriptive, meaning how things should be. Yeah. Uh, it can tell us many things about what humans do, but not about what humans should do, right? And so this is the exact idea of what you're talking about here. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so then from, from this third perspective, from the biblical counseling only perspective, psychology then in and of itself 
when it is applied for the growth or again how things should be mm-hmm. in a person right then it it can only be seen as a substitute or yeah. a somebody who's taking the place of yeah right yeah, yeah that's exactly right and, and so and this becomes uh difficult right because as you're saying it's kind of a misrepresentation of what psychology tries to do yeah right? and the idea here isn't necessarily uh, i don't know counselors or therapists who are actively in the business of trying to fix people right, right? like they're actively in the business of listening to people and helping them understand what their problems are. And then it should they so desire, helping them see the tools that exist in nature around them mm. to be able to make things better. Yeah, definitely. So then if it is the case from this perspective that psychology is viewed as a substitute for God's power and authority or a, a self-help, mm-hmm. um, then this kind of makes me want to ask the question, does God only work supernaturally then and not through natural established means? Or in, in other words, um, is it only the miraculous or supernatural breathing of God, not only for salvation, but for spiritual growth mm-hmm. that is going to bring effective change? Can it not then happen through God's established uh, workings or tools that he's given in nature? Right. It seems that that's, that's the assumption there. Um, and so... Which, by the way, just runs contrary to Romans 1 there, right? Like, it kind of runs into some trouble there where yeah. it talks about the idea that should we should be able to discern the supernatural via the natural, right? right? Like, we should right. see that God exists just by looking at a tree, right? looking at the fact that we're able to converse, you know, in in this way. And so, uh, yeah, that that definitely runs into some problems with For the sure. discussion. Exactly, because it, it, pit, it pits this wedge between God's world or special revelation how god has made himself known in his word and god's world Mm -hmm. or what's called general revelation right Mm -hmm. and Mm so then kind of hinging from that uh, we then have some pastoral insights and our desire for you guys is to be able to connect with this and so we've made some observations on what would this look like for maybe churches who do hold to this view or pastors who do hold to this position yeah what might be the consequences of that in practical living so, uh, so one of the biggest ones for me, uh, is the idea of like trying to run into the difficult of the lived experience of the believer, yeah. not matching up with what's being prescribed in the text. Mm. Right. So when you tell me not to be anxious and in anything, but in everything, cast my anxieties on God because he cares for me. Right. And I cast my anxieties on God the best I know how. Yeah. And, and I struggle, I struggle with anxiety. I struggle with depression. And, and so when I'm feeling like something's wrong yeah. and I can't get it right there, that puts me in this really bad spiral and this really bad cycle, right? And and that's one of the easiest ways to lead down into darker paths of, mm. of mental, you know, mental thoughts, even suicidal ideation and these types of discussions. And so what I think uh, I get scared of for people who might be in a position where they're like learning in a spot like this is like the bar is raised so high mm. there. And if your brain is just simply out of whack chemically mm-hmm. there, that's not a faith issue. I mean, that becomes a medical issue, mm. right? And science can, should, and does speak to that very specific thing. Yeah. So what I get scared of is it becomes a mistaken or a mistaken diagnosis, right? Because it's using the immaterial uh, to try and diagnose a problem that's actually quite diagnosable in the material mm. realm, right? Mm. So that's a big one for me. Oh, definitely, definitely. And kind of bouncing off that, if your own faith is going to be the formula for your own spiritual growth, mm-hmm. then the whole burden's on you. Yeah, Then you, you kind of get this situation with Job, right? Where 
Job's family and his property, like it's all gone. Mm -hmm. And so he has these three friends who come to him and their attitude is basically, well, what did you do wrong? Mm -hmm. You must have done something wrong to be in this situation. And so it equates then your circumstances of life or whatever the condition may be for you with your input or or your faith. Um, And that, that seems... That seems dangerous, right? Yeah. Well, um, and and what I what can I what I can appreciate about this position is it's really trying to take the Bible seriously. Yeah. Right. And, and they're really trying to do their best to maintain Scripture as the central authority. Yeah. In our lives, but I think in an effort to do that, it overlooks the richness and the theology of suffering. Right. Yeah. And, and so this idea well, of like sure. when you look at a person like Paul, who in Second Corinthians twelve nine writes that you know God's perfection is glorified through Paul's weakness, essentially. Right. Uh, God's power is made perfect in Paul's weakness. He writes, it's like there's a requirement of Paul being weak mm. to be willing to see God glorified in him. Yeah. And so those circumstances certainly carry worry, anxiety, sadness, fear, depression, anger, all of the lacking of the emotional you know, things that we think are good right. are a part of that journey, right? Yeah. Or even Jesus' prayer of not wanting to die in the Garden of the Gethsemane the night before he's executed, yeah. there where he's sweating drops of blood because mm. he wants a different way around this, mm. it misses out on the richness that is that theology of suffering that I think yeah. really helps humanity connect to the divine mm. creator in mm. those types of things. That's, and that's, so, that's really well put. So in an effort to take it seriously, it kind of misses the boat you right. know, pretty substantially. Yeah. It's kind of like trading the Titanic or the Queen Mary, whatever, for like a little life raft of saying mm. like, nope, this is the boat. Like this is the whole thing. It's like, <laughs> No, like there's a really big, beautiful boat up there. Yeah. You just got to look up. Yeah, you know? so. yeah, yeah, for sure. And so as we kind of shift gears then, uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about this alternative position, yeah. which is the integration position, that the Bible uh, and complemented by um, clinical therapy or professional counseling can actually be useful and fruitful in the life of a believer. And so the first thing is that you have a different theory of knowledge here, mm-hmm. right? On the one hand, with the Bible alone counseling perspective, the Bible is the exclusive, meaning the only source of knowledge that you can use right. for spiritual growth. Now, there is a view here in the Bible and psychology integration view where special revelation or the Bible mm-hmm. as well as general revelation are God-given gifts. Yeah. Meaning that God shows himself not only through what he says in scripture, but what how what he has done and how he has set the world up to be. All truth belongs to God. Exactly. Irrespective now. of how it reveals itself. Yep. And, and you know, that's from Augustine. There. Yeah. yeah so yeah. so this nice. isn't this isn't new, right? <laughs> like Christians have been saying that for yeah. hundreds and thousands of years. years. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and so this theory of knowledge already comes from this perspective that if we see a, a grain or a pattern established in God's world, for example. It seems to be the case that if you live your life stealing and um, lying, you're probably going to be in a, in a world of hurt. Yeah, yeah. Like, you don't have to be a Christian to know that. Right. Right? So the, the theory of knowledge from this perspective is going to propose, hey, listen, God has made these patterns known in the world in such a way that even non-believers can recognize these truths. Absolutely. And they can then... Not only they're not imposing those values, they're recognizing them. Yeah. And by recognizing, they can affect then valuable change. Yeah. See, that changes Huge. the ballgame. Huge. Um, so then uh, the distinguishing factor here is that scripture isn't the exclusive authority, it's the ultimate authority. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the difference here is that in the Bible alone counseling, you can only use the Bible, it's the only source. In in the integration view, scripture gets the last say. Yeah. It's the 
the strongest voice or the last voice on the table, but it's not the only one. Yeah. Yeah. And this is important to me because I, I think if God reveals God's self and God's truth in mm-hmm. a variety of ways, then it's probably important to look at, learn, and best implement those ways that we can and just make sure that they line up with scripture and just, exactly. check, and just check them. Like, exactly. It's, it's like, it, you're not less of a Christian if you just double check against the scriptures, right? Like, that's fine. So then psychology and theology aren't competing as sources of knowledge. They're rather complementing each other because they're both given by God. Mm -hmm. I was reading this really interesting article by John Coe, um, spiritual formation guru. I know you've you've read Mm -hmm. some of his stuff. Mm -hmm. And I really appreciated how he talks about wisdom literature, um, meaning the Psalms and the Proverbs in the Old Testament. He says, God creates and sustains the world with his imprint on it, known as wisdom. Yeah. Right? So so what we know about wisdom in the in the Bible is is the way that God has designed or made the grain of, of the world. So then wisdom is not only recognizable to believers, but it's also recognizable to non-believers as they see how the world works. Mm-hmm. In that sense, wisdom is the skill of learning how to live in line with the grain of God's world, a recognition of God's imprint, not an imposition of foreign values. Yeah, so good. I mean, that's amazing. I love yeah. that. Yeah, I, I think... What I love about this position is it implies humility there in a way that I don't think the Bible-only counseling one does. Yeah. And I think that's important for us and for our mental health as people moving forward, truly. For sure. For sure. And so the, the biggest concerns that I've heard with this is like, wait, but hold on. What about all the, the humanistic or all the atheistic or theorists or practitioners, psychologists who deny God and say that humanity is is basically capable of healing themselves. So from this perspective, I, I don't think that's actually a very compelling um, argument because you can recognize that there's methods or practitioners who are going to be out of line and yeah, like they're wrong. However, a lot of practitioners from early onset and currently in the field are Christians. Mm-hmm. And you have a lot of major Christian influences like Augustine, mm-hmm. like Aquinas, mm-hmm. uh, Luther, Calvin, who are speaking about spiritual growth and theology in a way that borrows from from these ideas as well before it was even a formal field. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, if all truth belongs to God, if somebody says that God doesn't exist, that doesn't negate the truth from still being yeah, God. Correct. So I actually find this very encouraging as, as a last kind of thought here. I really hope that our viewers are able to be encouraged and maybe even be able to look up some of the readings that we've referenced to say. Start by going to see a counselor. There you go. Exactly. No matter where you are, if you feel like you're in good mental health, go see a counselor anyway because you're just going to learn more stuff about yourself and it's going to be awesome. Make sure they're a follower of Jesus. Check what they say against the Bible, but see them anyway. Exactly. Exactly. This is all part of the resources and tools that God has given us as part of that growth. Absolutely. And that is a relief. And encouragement. Yeah, thank God. Yes, absolutely. So thanks for tuning in today, guys. Leave us a comment. What do you think? What would be some questions or concerns maybe with either of these positions that you guys can come up with?